think we got it this time. What does it mean to be alive beyond just waking up in the morning, beyond just, you know, being able to see, hear, smell, uh, you know, use all your senses? What does it actually mean to be alive when you're talking about culture, when you're talking about music? Who is when your spirit is felt by the people when you put out a body of work when you put out a song when you put out a mixtape and people feel you as an artist you're not really it seems like it'd be hard to actually be alive as an artist if no one is paying attention to you if no one is actually responding to you if no one if the art that you're putting out isn't touching people one way or another whether you're six nine or whether you are you know uh, J. Cole or you know Kendrick Lamar like if people aren't responding to your art then you can't really be alive as an artist and in this span of time that hip hop has been a thing has been you know a cultural centerpiece we watched a lot of artists live in this culture and be parts of this culture and, and grab the hearts and minds of the people and we've also seen those same artists be killed we've seen those artists um, die in in front of us in, in various ways. Uh, a lot of shootings um, and just, you know, some artists have been sick, some artists have had other situations, but a, a lot of those artists are still alive. They're still here with us. They're still people that we remember. There's still that feeling, that story that you get when you first heard Tupac or when you first heard Big Al or when you first heard Biggie or when you first heard, you know, Freaky Ty's voice or when you first heard, uh, I mean, there's a million artists, sadly, that we could run down of, of people who aren't with us anymore. Big Pun and, and, and all these type of things. But um, even with these people still still being here, a lot of times they have work that comes out after they've died, immediately after they've died, a year after they've died, a couple of months after they've died. And though we still feel the spirit of those artists and remember them fondly, a lot of times when an artist puts out an album or when an album is released posthumously, it can feel weird or it can feel great. I guess it just depends on the artist. But there's something a little spooky about listening to posthumous albums. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today because this is the return of the Something to Say podcast. And then we actually cue the Undertaker theme, or whatever. And then, we, and, then, like. and, then we, and then we cue the Undertaker theme anyway, because that's just <laughs> the foolishness that we would do on this particular show. Exactly. exactly. Hi, everybody. I miss, miss you guys so much. <laughs> we are back. We are, we are back. Oh my god. That was a good intro, Joe. I, I appreciate good. that, man. I appreciate that, man. I had to kind of walk my way down the path. 
I didn't exactly. I knew where I was going to kind of end up, but I was just like, let me just walk this path and just see where I go. The start starting with the question of like, what does it mean to be alive? I was like, oh, okay, we we getting right into <laughs> we getting right into we getting right yeah. into this. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. I want to yeah. just piggyback off that really fast. That what you said rings so true to me. That especially in hip hop, where so much music is made in communities, in basements, in in times of uh, poverty. You don't have money, and you don't have clothes, and you don't have the car. You know, a lot of rappers, they're trying to manifest a life that they want to live, you know, and they, they go about it by rapping about the things they're trying to acquire. And I think a lot of people feel like they're not alive until they obtain those things, and they're trying to attain that through music. So... Usually when we discover artists on the mainstream side of things, it's because the music has reached the people. Now you're living the life of an artist, a recording mm. artist, a musician, whatever you want to call it. By the time you hit the radio, by the time you hit the stages, that is your life now. And mm. oddly enough, we expect you to live that life as long as possible. We don't see death when it comes to artists. All we see is the next album, the next single, the next remix. It's always the next. We don't look at what we have currently as the last until it's too late. And I thought a lot about this with Pop Smoke, who seemed incredibly young, incredibly talented, and incredibly alive. I don't think anyone predicted that he would not be with us when we entered 2020. Right. <clears throat> No, not in the slightest. It's interesting that you say all that stuff, yo, because I mean, with some of the albums that we're going to be talking about today, I should note that Jaws wearing a Biggie shirt. Baby, um, baby. <laughs> and then also, um, it's worth noting that Juice World's album, Legends Never Die, is the biggest posthumous debut on Billboard since Life After Death. Um, I think with those two albums in particular, they were rapping from the vantage point of, okay, we've reached the upper echelon, but then like, what else is there? Um, there's undertones of that in both of those releases, which I think is interesting because if you were to just take these artists at face value, I don't think people would really see the commonality in them other than of course that they have both passed before their time. Um, I mean, so to even go back to like Biggie, cause I mean, I didn't discover Biggie until after death, but I kind of want to go back to that moment when life after death like drops. Um, I'm gonna defer to you, Jaw. Like, do you remember that period in time? Like, yeah, what was that like for you? That that was like um, I was in high school, and it was just a weird time because like we just went through it with uh we just went through it with pot and it felt weird that their beef really led to something for real for real like a real finality that it was spooky because i don't think in my at that point i was 16 years old i think it was big dot in 97 correct 
Mm-hmm. Was that right? 97? Yeah. So I was like 16 when Big died. And to that point, you know, I guess the way people felt when JFK was killed or, you know, like a, a major figure of a time period. At that point, at me being 16, I hadn't really had that moment yet in pop culture where somebody that I admired, someone whose art I was readily consuming, someone who I was engaged in conversations with every day, you know, about every day, all of a sudden was was killed. And it was kind of like, it just felt weird because Biggie was, it wasn't just he was any rapper. As far as I was concerned at that point, like Biggie was the best. It was <sighs> Biggie Smalls. And it was, it just didn't make any sense. Like they really killed this man. Yeah, and even at that point, it didn't sink into me how young he was at the time. Younger than twenty five, right? Yeah, I think he was twenty four. Oh, my god! And when you think okay. about that now, is you know, at thirty nine, when I think about that, is like if a twenty four year old rapper came out right now, and I mean, it would have been like something happening to Kendrick Lamar, like right after Good Kid, Mad City. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I, w- I would, I would assume that kids of this generation probably would have felt that same kind of like pain and shock. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I can't, I can't imagine. Yeah, I can't, can't imagine, imagine that. Like, can you think, like, think about that? Something happens to like Kendrick or Cole after the first album comes out, and they're in the middle of the second album, and then all we get after that is like, imagine if the Pimple Butterfly came out posthumously. Yeah. Um. I texted my uncle because I could have sworn he had life after death in his car. He said he didn't, but you know what? He said that um, he did have the vinyl that he finally retrieved. So I was like, okay, what was that moment like for you? And he he basically was like, so when Biggie actually died, he was living in Korea, but then he called one of his friends up to just to catch up. And the first thing this friend says is like, Biggie died, right? So then he comes back to America, you know, after whatever, t- however much period of time. And then it's at this point where he realizes like, oh, like Biggie was like, is going to continue to ascend even past his death because hypnotizes out. It's the biggest record. The way he put it in my text was like, white people are listening to him now. Yeah. And it's like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Like the, the strange timing of it all. So that's how he contextualized it for me. Like he was saying that like, not only was he reaching like a broader audience, but particularly on this album, it was interesting to hear him uh, kind of flex with these different regional styles in the midst of this turf war, because at first I didn't understand that going into it, but now that I'm hearing that with that context, it's like, oh, he's almost saying like he's above it all. Like he doesn't give a shit. Yeah. in his own like weird way you know but that was that's how he remembers that particular time it was like biggie was the biggest thing out like period that's an interesting that's an interesting idea that um of you you know becoming a bigger artist just as you you pass away and the fact that you know i mean you look at drake like he went to scorpion in the middle of his push your teeth thing and it sounds like he added like a bunch of records to kind of 
crystallized the moment that he was in and Big was just like, this is the album as it was already. Like, beef or no beef, this was the album and this is how we want to come out. And like you said, to, to some extent, we're putting it out this way and we're not even going to really address this as something that's going to distract us from getting this other message across. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of funny you mentioned Drake and Scorpion because in this current landscape, you can have your album rollout and before the album drops, make a new song. You could not do that in the 90s. Your album had to be pressed up. You know, you had to send in your album like what, two months in advance? Yeah. There was, there was no, you know, uh, last minute additions. There's no deluxe version with 15 extra songs. Like, that's not how you press an album up. So you listen to Life After Death before Biggie actually died. And, and you're thinking about that album from the context of everything that was going on and the process of him making it. You know, he's very cognizant of the times, but he's not cognizant of his death, you know. But Drake is able to recognize, I'm in the middle of this beef. And I need to go beef up some records. I need some new hits. I need to really slap them in the face with this album. So he can go tap back in. But, uh, you know, Biggie couldn't do that. So you're hearing this album within the context of someone who died before his release, but seemed to be very aware of where he was going next. And it hits a little differently because it's like, damn, bro, like you were so alive. Yeah. You were so ready for this next phase of your life. And... It's a little different compared to, I would say, the Juice World posthumous release or the Pop Smoke posthumous release because these are people going into the vaults, I believe, and seeing what is there and trying to piece together a project for the fans or, or for his memory. It's just, it, to me, it just seems different to have, it's one thing to have an album done that's in the process of being released and you died. And there's a whole nother process of thinking when the artist has already passed and an album is announced that has, they have no control over, like we saw with the Pop Smoke as far as the Virgil album cover. Man, that, that really bothered me. <laughs> that bothered me to my core. Because, you know, if you look at the Meet the Woo album cover, it is so clean. Meet the Woo 2, my bad. That album cover, very clean shot, uh, very simplistic, but very, uh, the imagery of the jewels and just the way he's standing, like everything about that image is striking in a very minimalistic way. And then you look at this Virgil cover. Man. See, when I streamed it, I'm glad they replaced it with the rotating rows. Like, I don't think I ever saw the, um, the Virgil iteration like on my actual streaming service. Cause I think even like the titles and the Spotify is just like rejected it. It was like, you know what? No, thank you. No, no. <laughs> It was bad, man. It's a bad cover. It's a bad cover. But I think what really made it bothersome to me is I don't believe that would be a cover that Pop Smoke would have okayed. And I only say that, not because I know him, but just stylistically, if you look at all the other covers, all the album singles, everything else he's done, just stylistically, it did not look as clustered as that Virgil image. It did not look as like lo-fi. Like he seemed to be a very high-res 
very uh, clean cut kind of guy. And you guys, like even the, the photo of him you chose, to me just completely disregarded just the, how, how image focused Pop Smoke was. He was very cognizant of how he wanted to look, how he wanted to appear, and to make him look so uncool. Yeah. Like he, like, he looked like he screen capped like a Facebook photo or something. Yeah, like, no, uh, for dug real. into the profile pics. <laughs> like, I wanted to sue him. I wanted to take him to court. Like, you see, it seemed like a violation of human rights. For real. I was very disgusted by that. And, and again, this is a posthumous release. So the artist who you're, you're pitting his name on this, he has no say. He's not here to be a voice. And that's always been the thing that gnawed at me about posthumous albums is that you're pitting someone's name on this release who is not here to okay it. any of this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think, um, yo, you and I were both thinking the same lines. Like, we were both very outraged by the Pop Smoke album at first. I think having gone back to it, my feelings have softened somewhat but only somewhat um and i think it's for all the reasons that you're describing right it's because just because these records might have been at their disposal doesn't mean that like they're there for the taking i guess and it's like these sorts of decisions make me question the intentions behind it all like um I'm thinking specifically with the Pop Smoke album, how there's a few too many Quavo hooks to kind of like tie everything all together. I'm like, couldn't this just have been shorter, maybe? And then with Juice World, you know, he's always had this very like singular point of view. So I think any full length release is gonna be a little bit repetitive, but in listening to it, I was like, there's a lot of bloat here. Like, I think there are records in there that are really, truly highlights, and there are records that do sound different from one another, but then in the midst of all that is, like, stuff that just kind of, like, kind of goes on and on and on. Um, so, and Plus, they mind, put a radio freestyle on here. What's that? They put the radio freestyle that Pop Smoke did with Charlie Sloth on the album, which I thought was kind of, like... Now, granted, I mean, we talked about Life After Death with Big, and I guess even though that is posthumous, it's like the the actual posthumous album was born again as far as them having to piece it together because it's just, you know, born again is just, you know, Puff and the, putting together Big verses with a million features. I mean, like every rapper in the world is on <laughs> Born Again and I think they put end up putting songs like uh, I think they put Who Shot You on there and like they remixed and remastered um, the old Biggie record with Little C's and like a few other things to just kind of I guess fill out the track list. It, I don't know. It just it feels it feels disingenuous and unless to me unless an artist has like a good majority of an album done already. It might be better to just, even if you don't, even if you have to put something out, maybe just make it like an EP or something shorter that's not like an album album. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just uh, putting it as an album and putting a title on it and trying to market it as an album just always feels kind of gross. Yeah. 
I agree with Ja. It's there 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 are to me some exceptions. Um especially when time is spent in really piecing together something that represents the art and the artist. Um, and when it came to Mac Miller's Circles, I think that album was a really good example of what a posthumous release can be when the music is done and it's just about fine-tuning the last bits and pieces to have it ready for the audience. And it's not so much about going into the vault and trying to pull together an album, but really working with what the artist uh, very intentionally left behind as a collection. Because Circle sounds like a collection of songs that Mac Miller would have put together. You know, it feels like a Mac Miller album. Um, I think the, the Jacka had an album come out this year um, that was posthumous, but that album was years and years in the making. That, that the team, that his team, that his management really decided that they wanted to do something that was going to honor his legacy, and they decided in which ways that legacy would be best honored. You know, I think it's a slow process when the, when the artist hasn't left behind what I would consider a wheel. You know, if there's no wheel, then it's very hard for you to decide and discern what the artist would do. Now, there is ways you can look at the artist and their legacy and decide what best represents him in the long term. And I'm not saying that did not happen with people like Juice and not with Pop, but I just don't like the speed in which these releases came because I have to question what were the conversations and the purpose of this release? Were you trying to get it out because you could put it out? Or were you trying to put it out because this is what best represents this artist in their art form. Yeah, I got to credit producer Mike Saba for saying this first on the text thread, but you know, it seems like when stuff like this is rushed out and it has like that real icky, like almost too soon feeling to it, um, you could probably chalk it up to like recouping losses. It's like, you know, with Pop Smoke, you know, he was already hanging out in the Bahamas with like 50 Cent and doing this and that, like doing all these sessions. It was already like a cost, you know, to like right. these companies, to this to this label that he had just signed to. So at the end of the day, it's like if they've already spent that money, it's like they maybe they just kind of throw. It seems to me they just throw up their hands and they're like, well, time to make our ROI, you know. And um, I mean, maybe that's very cynical, but it kind of does seem that way sometimes. No, I think I have two points. A, I think you're right. I mean, I think part of it is. And this is like a sick way to have to to view it. And I don't know how much labels take it this into account, but I don't know what the original date that Pop Smoke's album was supposed to come out. I don't know if this I don't know if the, when it came out was the date that was playing the whole time. Because had they announced, I, I don't I don't know if there was an official announcement about the album release date before he was killed. See, he had just put out a project was the thing. Right. Right, yo? Yeah, yes, he had just yeah, put something just out. just put out a project. And, like, I don't I don't know they ever really intended on releasing another album so soon. I can't say that for sure. I can't. I don't right. know. But, like, so, Meet the Woo 2 just came out. Right. So, like, like, in my mind, I think to myself, like, okay, 
I get it. You spent money and there's a cost and you have to get that money back. But are you are you just putting it out now to like to capitalize on the fact that he just died and you don't think that you can get uh, a proper rollout without using the moment of his death as part of the marketing? Because to me, if you are a record label and. You know, I get it that a lot of times artists might have their own ideas or artist team might have their own ideas. But to me, if you're a record label and the artist is deceased, then you all should be able to come up with something rollout wise. You have all the time in the world now. Now there's really no rush to put this out, even if you want your you know, you want to get your money back. Why not put it together and just take your time putting it together, maybe in a, a right way and roll it out? Maybe even it with more, you know, more impact than just the low hanging fruit of, well, he just died. So if we put out the album now, people he'll be on people's minds, and but, you know, maybe see, they'll they go buy the it. Looks, like, though. They did the looks for me through too, which I thought like, okay, that makes some sense. Throw the extra records on there and we put it in and we yeah, release it. You yeah. know, especially if, if I and I can believe that some of those records that did make that uh, deluxe version was work as he put on his IG. And these were things that they had already discussed. The thing that even if the label was was trying to recoup, which I don't fully understand, like I don't get it. Like I don't understand what the conversation was. Like what was the conversation about Pop Smoke following his passing? You know, like was it in a way that people were like, well, look, we have some really strong records that we know have potential to really be meaningful to people. Because I will say. People love pop. They do. New York love pop. I think a lot of people were hurt. I think a lot of people were mourning. And if the intentions of the album was to kind of fill that void of him missing this summer, which would have been his summer. I really think he would have had a huge summer this summer. And if that was a part of the thinking, like, look, we knew 2020 was going to be a pop smoke summer. Let's, let's, let's give him his summer. Then, like, I can kind of meet you halfway. But that's my, my biggest issue is there's not enough transparency about the, the artist as a human being and what they're doing intending on representing this human being. Not just a pop star, not just a rap star, but like a person who is no longer here, who's leaving behind family, who's leaving behind friends, who's leaving behind a legacy. Like I don't feel enough that we are hearing from the people in charge of this music about who this person is and why releasing this at this time is meaningful. Yeah, I mean, but that's like, but that's what I'm saying about taking their time. Like, I almost would have rather seen them say, okay, this happened. So what we're going to do for the next year is we're going to put together a Pop Smoke documentary. We're going to talk to his family, his friends. We want everyone to be involved in this. If we want to uh, get across a message about uh, gun violence or if we want to get across a message about, you know, something that was dear to pop, something that mattered to pop. And we and we put out this piece of art that represents like to what your point that represents him as a human and then also put out the album that represents him as an artist and at least let people get emotionally attached to him nationwide like you said new york loved them the tri-state area loved them people in other parts of the country might not have been super in tune 
to the whole wave like he was still a new artist he was still gaining fans he was still kind of building a groundswell why not you know try to get some of that involved or do like a um or do like uh, ASAP EM's day and get, you know, other drill artists and do a big show and, you know, something. I'm just saying, I think there's different ways they could have gone about doing it as opposed to just throwing the music out there. But I am intrigued by the idea that you mentioned earlier about a, uh, about a will. Like, I wonder will we ever see that time where an artist actually makes an album will? Like in the middle of creating an album or in the midst of about to create an album saying, if for whatever reason I don't make it out of this process, these are some of the things I want. These are some of the things I absolutely will not have. I will not stand for. I will haunt you for the rest of my life if you do X, Y, Z with my album. At this Fuck. point, I'd do it. Uh, if I was an artist uh, at this uh, point, I would do I will, it. I, will, I want it. I that, should be, <laughs> that should be the norm. Yeah. That should come with every contract. When you sign a three album deal after every contract, you try to update your will. Oh yeah. my God. My, my mom was just telling me about how my um my grandma Emma, she she updated her will constantly. Constantly. Cause uh her lawyer recommended that, you know, you write out your will and every time someone in the family like pissed her off. <laughs> she was such a thug that by by the time she passed, man, like no one knew what was in her will. Like no one knew. And it was a shocker to the family. Yeah. <laughs> when it came to read it. They was not ready for what was in there. And I thought that was so fine. Yeah. Like, yeah. Guys, like she was always aware. And she this is like she lived like to her like nineties, like big thug. But she was super aware that I want to make sure that what's in this paper reflects how I feel. So if my feelings oh my change God. about you, then you out. And that's what this paper will say. You know what I'm saying? That's what this Listen, paper will say. I would never talk against your family. It sounds like she had all the wisdom in the world. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, when you are in your 20s, or if you're pop smoke, 20, period, that's like you're not thinking about that stuff, especially in a time where you're kind of meeting all your heroes and being able to travel to exotic locations to escape like Bed-Stuy or whatever it is, or like seeing crowds for the first time, you know, as Juice World often talks about and his songs, like they're in the midst of what they call like really living. Like yeah. they're reaching like what they think is the pinnacle. And I can only imagine with life moving that fast, it's like even as fatalistic as Biggie and as Juice World were about their own existence, I I can't imagine a will being at the top of your mind. Like I'm in my 30s. Like I haven't thought about my will until Yo said something. I was like, oh, you're right. I yeah, do no. need to be petty. But no, you know right. what? <laughs> you're right. And I mean, but to that point, like some of the places that these guys come from, I mean, they felt dead before they felt alive. Exactly. So I mean, if you you know, you're definitely not thinking about your will if all you've known is feeling dead and now all of a sudden you get to live, you get success and you get to actually be alive. You're not thinking about dying anytime soon. You're not thinking about, you know, later on or whatever. You're just happy to be here at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. See, I think, and it's kind of odd when you think about how much death is referenced in rap music 
it is such a common theme in rap songs. Like, uh, I was just playing Roddy Rich Die Young, and it's just like, dang, mm-hmm. you're thinking like this. You're 100% self-aware that the good die young. But you have to look at yourself as someone that could potentially die young, and that's where it gets morbid, because no one wants to literally look at themselves in the mirror and be like, it really might be around the corner for me. Well, I mean, listen, death is like as much as anything else, as much as soul samples, as much as DJs, as much as uh, money and big asses and all the other stuff like death is a foundational element of rap music. I mean, the public enemy logo is a man in a crosshairs. Um, Scarface wrote my mom playing tricks on me in like 1990 or 1991 or whatever it was like that's just what it is like right and then Biggie would like you know shout out that song in um, Ready to Die and Ready to Die yeah yep. right mm-hmm. right he was mm-hmm. look at that title look at that title Ready to Die Life mm-hmm. After Death like it is in the language <sighs> Yeah. Um, or even, you know, I always look at Drake, a uh, legend. We, like, if I die, I'm a legend. And does Drake have a will? Drake has to have a will. Oh, there's I'm no almost way, there's no positive. Way Drake, Drake has a will. Yeah, <laughs> you know? positive Drake has a How will. How could he not have a will? Yeah, how could he not have a will? Yeah, no. <laughs> Drake's not worried about dying, though. I don't think Drake. You know what, though? I, I do kind of wonder about his relationship with that because he talks about dying a lot. Now, even on the, a, even on more the new, and more even on the new record he says he he goes into detail like if I die I want it to be a quick one I want it to be like this I want it to be like this like he talks about dying extensively and you know I don't know I don't know where that comes from in his life I don't know if it's just you know I don't know if he feels like he's seen a lot of people die I don't know if he feels like it's just what happens when you're a successful rapper in this industry and so long that risk is always there but he talks about dying a lot and that's of all the stuff that people talk about drake's music i feel like that's something that rarely ever gets mentioned that he's on and clearly it's on his mind in some way shape or form i think it started coming with the tony soprano phase like once he started making clear that he was starting that show from the very beginning I think mm-hmm. that's when those references started coming up a lot. Cause mm. That's what Tony Soprano's existence is all about. And I only know this from the first episode. <laughs> constantly just looking over his shoulder and you never know. You could be in the back of whatever deli or in your backyard. And, and next thing down. you know. But yeah. see, I, I, I've had this theory for a while and I haven't been able to write about it. But like, I feel like the first, what, first five Drake album titles Mm-hmm. Are all like death leaning, like thank me later, mm. take care. It's it's, pa- yeah, was it's the it's same. Th- yes, if you're reading yes. this, it's too late. Yes, more yes, life. Yes, yes, like, yes, yes. What I'm are you, you thinking about, sir? I'm with you. Ransom notes. It sounds like ransom notes. Yeah, to it's, me. yeah, yeah. But who's it's, but who's it's, held hostage? <laughs> Is well, it I mean, Drake? <laughs> but that's the thing about it, though. He's really obsessed. As much as he talks about like. I mean, he raps a lot about being in a moment and things that are happening, but he raps a lot about how he will be perceived after. Like a lot of his perspective, a lot of, like you said, his album titles, It's a lot of it is about when I'm done with this or when I die or when all of this is over, 
how will you feel about me? How will you feel about my art? I want you to love this way after I'm gone. And that seems to be a place that he just writes from consistently. Right. right. It's, it's interesting. It's really interesting to think that his mind kind of operates in a present tense, past tense kind of way of thinking. Because yeah. he's so current. But he's also prepared for people to talk about him in the past tense. Yeah. Drake was. Drake, remember when Drake was, remember Drake had, you know, back in the day, Drake could have did, you know what I'm saying? Like, he seems so prepared for people to look at him reflectively. Like, not. Yeah. No, I was going to say, it feels like he is smiling with death, not at death, not at the thought of it, but he's smiling. Like, it's like he's standing side by side next to the Grim Reaper with a smile on his face, looking at his life and, like, all the great things that happened. He doesn't rap about it like he's sad. It's almost like dying makes him excited to live. Yeah. That's a more life. Yeah, more yeah, yeah. more life and that kind of thing. Like, and like, I could die, and so I'm very excited when I wake up in the morning to do something legendary or to make some song that will change the world forever because at some point I'm not going to be here to do this. I don't, I mean, we take a lot of stuff for granted. I know I do. I think most people do. I don't think like that when I wake up in the morning and maybe I should, I don't know. Like maybe I should push myself to be more proactive about your day to day life because it just seems like that's how he's living. And I, you know, without going into his head too deeply, I, can see how that might push someone to be great. If you thought that every every second you're on some type of borrowed time, all the Ooh. time, like if that's if that's constantly your mind state, like I might die any minute now, you probably would take it a little bit more seriously. I agree. He does seem to have like a like Drake is just never being carefree to me. Like whatever carefree is, Drake mm-hmm. is not. It wasn't not the Tootsie Slide. I'm sorry. It no, wasn't the it was a, it was a, it was a song about murdering his enemies. That song is so stressful. <laughs> but it was for TikTok. If it's for right. TikTok, it's fine, right? right? I mean, yeah. Country Grammar could have been for TikTok. That was also about murdering your enemies. Yes. <laughs> Sliding on your foes. You know, yeah, and, he, and even then, it's still like Drake is very aware that this could all go bad. This could yeah, horribly, this could be horrible. Yes, this go very left, right? You know, and it's kind of funny because in contrast to his uh his his good friend Future, Future does not seem like he's aware of death at all. Nah, what Future do you wants mean? You to know. <laughs> Future hang out with kidnappers, real kidnappers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Future does. Future's not aware of death. That's not no, true. No, 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 no. Aware of his death. He to me, Future does not seem like he's afraid to die. I don't get that vibe. Uh, you don't get at that at all. Man. No, what? that's why he does drugs. No, 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 no. Hello? Future does drugs to get high. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait, so not. so let me let me hear your um let me hear you. No, Tra- okay, about if, if, where- if Drake smiles with death, like Future has death in the passenger seat and he told Death to shut up and ride. <laughs> Just he, told the sh- like, he told a like, mask off, you know how like Amber Rose is in the passenger seat? <laughs> yes. That's yo, death? Dead ass. Yo, I'm not no. kidding. I, re- I listen to Future and I do not be terrified. I want to get money, right? Like, are you, you, get, are you kidding you me? Get, I'm never afraid when I listen to Future. There's no are, fear. No. There's no fear in March Madness. No. Like, there's just no fear. There's no fear in, um, what's my joint? Uh, there's, there's, there's no fear in Diamonds in Africa. 
No, Mark like, Madness t- literally talks about cops, killer yeah, cops. But Future ain't afraid of him. Like Future <laughs> is not afraid. No. Cody Wait. crazy, no fear. No, there's no fear in Future. I disagree. Okay, yeah. so what, I, I need to hear the counterpoint. I need to hear the other side of why Future is. Because in a lot death. of times, especially in like those darker mixtapes, we're talking like the Fifty Six Nights, the Monster, and stuff like that. It's like, I know memories of family members dying comes up a lot. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, when he's doing the drugs, a lot of the times is to chase away those memories in particular. So his relationship with death is different than Tony Soprano, Poser, Drake. I can't believe we've been talking about it for this long. (laughs) But like, um, I think death is very much in Future's mind. He doesn't. It, it it's almost he's almost fatalistic in a way too because he's like why be sober through this shit you know what i mean that's his relationship with his existence no i agree with you i'm not saying future does not act as if death exists it just seems like he's not worried about it coming for him i agree with you that he has memories that he's trying to clear himself of but i mostly believe those memories is of of, of selling drugs you know, like he talks about the kind of drugs he sold to, like, like with his aunt, and you know, selling drugs to people who are pregnant. Like, I think Future has done some bad things, but I also feel like Future, to me, doesn't sound like karma, bad karma, could ever come his way. It just never feels as if like there is a a, a fear of what's around the corner. Like Future, to me, reminds me of Walter White. Like I'm the one who knocks. He's not worried about the knock of death. He is the one who knocks. That's why, like, Future to me never sounds remorseful about losing a woman. You know, he never sounds remorseful about anything that he's done. He's like, I did it. And it's almost like, I'll do it again. Hmm. I want to break this tie, no but I feel ill prepared because I've never even thought about this before. So now I, gotta, I, gotta, I feel like I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta listen gotta, to. I really gotta sit in it, but like when I listen to Future, like I'm saying, there's just no like you can play Drake and you can see that very self awareness that there's going to be a time where I'm not here. Future okay. sounds like an African king that's gonna have 27 wives. <laughs> oh my god! I finally watched Come to Guys, Guys, Guys. Watched- totally tangent. I finally watched Coming to America. Son, please, I am more than the exalted ruler of this land and the master of all I survey. I'm also a concerned dad. This is a very important <laughs> moment in your life. Because I finally got that reference on that future track. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure a lot of life... I'm I'm sure that you probably felt alive finally after seeing this movie because there's a million references to things that you've probably been seeing for 20 years now. Yo, I've been watching RuPaul's Drag Race and at least once a season, there is a Coming to America reference. I was like, oh! (laughs) I know know that now. Now I understand. That's been the one silver lining with quarantine. I've just been watching everything that I was supposed to. I want, every, I want everyone that, listening to this to hit Christina on Twitter and just put like clap emojis <laughs> and add her on Twitter. Please send her. Her, her, Twitter, her Twitter is at America America Mina Ann Lee. 
And I need you to just send clap emojis to. This is a big Twitter. day. This is a very very big day. Or just like rose petals. Rose yeah. petals. Rose petals. Yeah, yeah. Lion heads. Um, African flags. Anything that just represents the fact that she's finally, she's finally among us. Let, let me let me piggyback off that really fast. And this is something that I've been really thinking a lot about. I always feel like posthumous albums are often based on giving the fans more. But sometimes I want to just cherish what they gave us. Like coming to America is a classic, right? It's never going to get old, ever. And you know, like it's just one of those movies that when it came out, what the content was, what the message was, how it was shot, the actors, everything about it is just frozen in time. And I look at music a lot like that too. It's like when I play an album, even if it doesn't resonate with me as strongly today, it might resonate with me 10 years from now. You know, it might be 15 years from now. But just to have the ability to go back and to be able to know, man, that this is the what this artist wanted to give me. You know, this came from their mind, this came from their label, this came from their team. And that is meaningful in a way that an album without them, like a posthumous album just to me removes the artist. It removes the person. Yeah. And removing that person, like removing their mind, removing their vision, removing their insight. Like that's why I was very like irritated by 50 Cent and his executive production on Pop Smoke's album. Cause it's like 50, you're an artist, bro. You go you can go make an album. Oh yeah. my like, god. You could have okay. made okay. a dedication album to Pop Smoke. Oh my God. You know well, first, I just want to say, yo, you made this amazingly beautiful point off of my very silly admission, but I just want to have to kill your buzz for a sec and just let you know that they are making a Coming to America too. Oh, I they know. Were. And they okay, should. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Just making sure that that is 100% clear because that's not going to stand alone anymore. No, 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 um, no, no. no. They're, they're, they're doing a sequel and I know it's not going to be good. And, <laughs> and I say that, and I say that, I say that because anytime. They try and retouch something that that nailed it the first time. You're trying uh-huh. to recreate magic that you're not able to touch again because it's magic. You don't touch magic. Magic touches you. You right. can't do it again. So if you try to do it again, I already know you didn't failed. You could have put together that same cast of characters, could have came up with a whole script and not called it Coming to America 2. You guys have failed that the legacy of that project by touching it again. But that's why I use it as an example because it's like as old as that movie is, it holds up for a reason. It's been quoted for a reason. It transcends for a reason. And it's not for you to try to do again. I hate mm. sequels. I really they irritate my soul because they're not you're you're trying to do something again. And I think art, the beauty of art is the fact that you did it once. You should go do something else. Yeah, you, you know should only saying? be able to do well, it. You should only be able to do it one time. You should only want to do it one time. That's what that's you what makes it, it magical. You played that role. You shot those scenes. You did it so good that it resonated with people. Why are you trying to do that again? Why do you? But want I, I'll take to... something you said a step further though. When you talk about, and I think it's it's a pretty like, uh, I think it's a pretty poignant thing of of uh, you know a posthumous release that removes the person like it's almost like um i was just watching um james baldwin uh, i am not your negro and there's a scene in there where he's talking about um the day that he gets the news that malcolm x has been killed 
and you know they're showing footage from the memorial service and they're showing Malcolm lying in state and people walking by looking at him and they're showing his body and the thing Baldwin says was you know I saw him but that's not like the that body isn't Malcolm like that's that's a body like the person is a spirit like that's not him like so these posthumous albums is kind of like a body viewing it's kind of like you're you're Ooh, you're, you're walking wow. by seeing the corpse of this person you're seeing that that's their body that's what they look like that's what you know that's how his hair was that's how his eyes and nose were but you're not actually seeing a person you're just seeing what's left of them and <sighs> i mean to that degree i'd much rather like unless an album is 75 percent done or and that's why i said maybe even eps because you can make it shorter you can make four or five songs but i feel like posthumous albums at this point the rule should be no features on posthumous albums i agree no features no unless, unless someone wants unless someone wants to sing the hook that'd be the only thing that i go for but let the person whoever the artist is let them stand as their full self whatever that is if, even if the album if the verses aren't you know the best verses or whatever the case if you're going to put it out put it out as that individual and show us more of that person's souls and just a body in a box that if you, you can if you at. can't if you can't hug my mama if you can't come hug my mama don't be on my house yeah 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 what? that type of talk no 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 that that type of talk no. though that that, yeah, that no. type of talk though no. like you can't come hug my mama if you if don't you can't, be if on you my can't, album. if you can't if you can't pull up to my house without a garmin or a gps or google maps if you can't just drive from wherever you at to my to my house or to my family's house or something like that then just leave me alone man leave me alone wow. and let me do what it pit, is but don't up, come in here looking Instagram at my body and Yo. trying to view my, my 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 corpse and you don't get a chance to actually see me as a whole person like that's why wow this I is why just... too. i agree and that's the thing i don't i don't want to be the rain on this parade because i do know that these songs and these albums do mean a lot to the people People are loving pop for what I can tell. Yeah, they do, and I don't want them to feel bad for liking because it's, it's still music. It's still yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I yeah. think on a moralistic level, the industry itself needs to have a better ruling and better parameters about how they deal mm -hmm. with people's passing. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, like I know y'all need to recoup, and I know y'all need to pay all your bills and shit. But come on, man, this is a person's life. There's got to be a protocol. It has I, to be. Oh, and it has to be respectful. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Well, God, I mean, that is such a, these are all very, very powerful yeah. points. I think. Y'all snap. Just to be, I don't know if I'm being devil's advocate though, but it's like if we didn't have life after death as like a shining example for a posthumous album and the way it could be received though, then I don't think we'd be talking about the very nature of these releases in the sense that I think with Life After Death, there are a lot of voices on that album. Um, I was actually very struck by it because I'm listening to this in you know 2019, 2020, and I'm coming after this from like Ready to Die, which I was like, 
after listening to that, I'm like, who needs true crime podcasts when you have this shit? Yeah. So, um, like, Biggie in Life After Death is having, like, Bone Thugs and Harmony collaborations and, like, doing Going Back to Cali, like, literally. Um, he's having, I mean, we wouldn't have Mace um, and Hypnotize, Mo Money, More Problems, all this other stuff without that particular album. Like, that album is pretty crowded, actually. And I think a lot of it is to kind of spell out all the ambitions that he had in his mind leading up to his death. So when I listen to Pop Smoke, I think intentionally or otherwise, I hear a lot of those same ambitions. Unfortunately, it has to play out through a Tiger verse on a song called like what, West Coast shit or something like that. Yeah. But I hear a lot of these very same tendencies. It's like the 50 Cent interpolating vocals, one of it, like they didn't just come out of thin air. I understand that like, 50 cent probably had nothing better nothing else better to do because he's just trolling people all day but at the same time it's like those ambitions couldn't have just come out out of thin air like pop smoke is singing these vocals for a reason and so i i don't know it's it's very tricky well life after death is such a um it's it's almost like you have to put an asterisk next to life after death right because even though it is posthumous the album was already announced. The single was out. Like he was, the album came out what, like two weeks after Biggie died. So I mean, at that time, you know, that wasn't an era of surprise albums. None of that. Like if the album had been announced, the album release date had been announced, you know, a month prior. So everyone knew this was coming. the The, the product was pretty much already done to some extent, and so. I don't feel a way about those features because I feel like that's actually Biggie's voice speaking to these songs and saying, this is what I want 112. I want Kim. I want Jay-Z. I want Bone. I want Too Short. I want, you know, these people to come together and make the locks and Mace. And I want all this to come together in a certain kind of way on these songs in this kind of fashion. And, you know, he actually got a chance to finish the album. And it just so happened that just before he could get it out, he got killed. I just, I don't know how much, and to Yo's point about transparency, I don't know how much of this pop album was done. I'm assuming he's always been recording, and I'm sure he, a lot of those songs probably were, you know, recorded or done, but it's just like, how much of this was actually complete? Right. And, the, and like, he signed off on He signed off, right, that he actually signed like, off on, that he was running was around listening to in his own car or whatever. The album, especially now with like high value recording, rappers make a lot of songs. We know through Young Thug that snippets go crazy. Playboy Cardi, hella snippets. We but we don't know what the album is. And the same thing with like Wayne. Like thank God Wayne didn't pass during the making of the Carter Three, because there were so many leaks that at one point in time, like we as the listeners, we as the audience, we did not know what the album was gonna look like. Mm-hmm. You know, there was so many songs that leaked out that he was even saying Carter Three on. Like you can tell that Wayne's aware that these songs are part of the Carter Three sessions, but we did not know what that album would be. And that's my thing. And that's kind of what I miss about the '90s is albums had to be done in advance. You had to send your album in months in advance to get it pressed. But now you just gotta send it to Spotify, Apple. You just send it to DSP. 
You know, what used to be a, a, a couple of months might be a couple of days now. Yeah, so, you're, tra- you're tracking drums two hours before the album comes out. <laughs> exactly. And it's crazy that they can do that now, but that's a part of the process. So I'm not really sure what Pop had in mind for his future after Meet the Woo 2. But I'm just saying, you have a project out, even if they were intending to drop another one during the summer run. But like obviously, like COVID hit. You never know how Pop was going to react to COVID. Maybe he would have been like, let's chill. Yeah, let's push Maybe it back. Maybe he would have been like, uh, it's just so much that happened. That's why I say like when you remove the artist from the process, it becomes a very strange creation. Because who are you asking? Who are you confiding in for the artist's input? They're not here. You can't be mm. like, all right, Pop, these are, this is what's going on. What do you think? So now you have people operating for the artist without the artist being here. And I just think that is a very strange way of creating something that's going to have his name on it. It's going to be his name. This is his legacy. And he's not here to have input. And that's for all posthumous artists. It, it, to me, it's very tricky building something in someone else's name. And, you know, like I had, I had to tell one of my friends, man, I was like, bro, if something happens to me, don't let them touch nothing. Yeah. Don't touch nothing. Mm-hmm. He's your conservator? Yo. Oh, yeah, yeah. We was, we was out <laughs> drinking one day, and I was like, bro, something happened to me. I got all this writing. Don't let them touch nothing. <laughs> Just because, like, I, I know the way my brain works. And I know that no one's going to do my work justice without me being here. I mean, you got to do the thing you did with middle school diaries, which is on the, you know, inside cover. You write, keep out. You draw skull and crossbones. This means you. That is. It's very very real when you consider, like, the fear of someone doing something in your name. Well, you know, earlier I mentioned Kendrick, but I feel like he would be one of those people. Like, even though we got the un uncensored side on master yeah i feel like that was a, a purposeful thing that they decided to obviously put out but like i feel like i don't know how much extra recording kendrick does i mean i'm sure he's recorded songs that we've never heard before but i just wonder how many of those songs were actually in service of a project where you could put all these songs together and still put them out to me he just strikes me as the kind of person that if something were to happen to him whatever is sitting in the vault will probably sit there forever that's interesting because, I mean, he's had like a couple of like Lucy projects before, right? Has Kendrick? he? Yeah, like there was the one with the the green cover. Yeah, that's okay. what I'm talking about, the Untitled Unmastered. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean, I, that, oh. to, but to me, that was like him, you know, with, with To Pimp a Butterfly because it was so experimental. It felt like he was trying to figure out what this album is going to be. So I'm going to do these jam sessions and these things. It might just be me, Terrace Martin and Dahi. And we might sit in the studio and just jam out and just see what comes of this. And I'll let Anna Wise come in here and rock out. But I just wonder like for damn, I could be wrong, but to me it doesn't feel like there's 20 leftover songs from damn that are just floating around that maybe just didn't come to, to bear. It doesn't feel like there's 20 good kid, mad city songs that just never made it to the album that are just, Oh my God. We cut 45, records to get down to 18 he just doesn't strike me as that kind of artist i could be totally wrong i mean listen that's the magic of somebody like a kendrick he doesn't let you know that he has bad first drafts that's like the most embarrassing yeah. thing for a writer. don't look at my draft <laughs> I, I gotta agree i i don't know how much 
uh, like how much music Kendrick records during the album process. And that's one thing that I, I want to actually talk to artists more about. Like, how's your creation during album mode and when you're out of album mode? Because obviously album mode is extremely intentional and I think Kendrick makes intentional albums. So these songs are all supposed to correlate thematically. They're right. supposed to have a certain context to them and I believe that he records those songs in a manner that they all going to be connected. But that doesn't mean that Kendrick doesn't go to the studio and just chill and just vibe and just come up with stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he has those moments too. But probably those songs, maybe they end up on the album eventually. Maybe they don't. Maybe they end up in the mixing. Maybe they don't. But I don't know if the intentions of those songs were to ever be released without Kendrick coming up with a home for them. I tend to think of albums as home for songs. Yeah. Now, all right, I'm going to build a house and I'm going to make these songs live in that home together. Mm-hmm. Like, like Survivor. You know, we're going to put all these people on an island. Like, he's going to put all these songs on this desert island, and they're going to live together. Right. That's what I think the album is. It's just a bunch of songs living together. But when the album, the artist is removed from that process, and someone else is deciding what songs are living with each other, again, it's like the artist's mind, to me, has all the vision. And when you bring someone else in that is not the artist and it's their vision, then you should make your own album. Yeah, but I say it's not that, it's not that artist's art your, anymore. Yeah, you put your name on it. It should it should not be their album. It should be uh, this album was made by these people. They should come up with a name and they should say buy so and so. Just like, call Fifty make, out by his name. Come on, yo. <laughs> Fifty Cent album featuring featuring Pop Smoke. I mean, it just depends on who you talking about. Like DJ Khaled isn't the rapper on his album, but it's still DJ Khaled featuring all these collaborators. To me, that's what you should do. You should come up with a brand and you should name the brand and put all the songs on there. So that way, this this album that did not have this artist input does not associate with him. That's if the the album's not done. If it's not done, if you guys are pulling scraps or songs from the vault, then that's that collection should belong to you. And you should put it under your name and let them and let the people decide if that's what they want. If that's what but they're like, actually trying to rock with, yeah. The name, the artist's name to me is precious. It's very is 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 has no value. You can't put a value on someone's name. And when someone passes and you guys keep using their name. It don't sit well with me. Mm. Mm. Okay. Well, you've just been listening to the Something to Say podcast produced by Michael Saba. We are finally back, people. Um, thanks so much for sticking with us. Um, if you want to continue to support this podcast, head over to patreon.com slash something to say. And we will talk to you guys in Hold your on. ears. Yo, yo, yes. yo, let's, let's think that Patreon uh, donators for these microphones that me and Josh use. Oh, yeah, we, we have some not, crispy, some crispy new audio devices, courtesy we, we of our Patreoners. We cannot record this episode without our Patreon donators. So we, we appreciate you guys and big, big thanks. You have allowed us to prosper during this, during these trying times of coronavirus. And we appreciate y'all.